We live in a time and a day where many things, it's hard to come about where we are getting the actual thing. A lot of things are manufactured, a lot of things are duplicated, and we start to forget what is even original or authentic anymore. And we know this because a lot of companies, they're spending large amounts of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, on products to kind of imitate something that is authentic or something that is original. But at the end of the day, we know that it's truly not the authentic thing. This is imitation. This is a manufactured product. I mean, there's a chance that you have a favorite movie, and I'm pretty sure you could go to a store and purchase something about your favorite movie so that you can kind of take that movie home and experience that movie in real life. This is especially true in our children movies where Toy Story, which was one of my favorite movies, um, Toy Story, you could go to Walmart, Target, Swap Shop, and you could find a Buzz Lightyear doll. You can buy the Buzz Lightyear doll. You can bring that Buzz Lightyear doll home. And the cool thing about Buzz Lightyear is it has this action chap hand that you hit a button and it chops at the bad guy. It also has the laser that you could point at the bad guys and blind them. Or even the buttons that expands their wings and you could glide them around the room just like Andy did when he was in the movies. You could even hit a button and Tim Allen's voiceover is in your presence. You see, at the end of the day, when the child who's playing with these toys realizes that Woody's words come so true is, Buzz, you are a toy, when it comes true, when they realize that this is not the real thing, that this is not the real Buzz Lightyear from the movie. And it leaves us kind of disappointed, kind of longing for more, kind of wishing that Buzz Lightyear was here. But we manufacture things, we manufacture a lot of things to kind of get a glimpse of the experience of the real thing. But when we realize that the manufactured product is not the real thing, it often leaves us disappointed, wanting more from it. And as we're moving this morning into what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about idols. And I believe a lot of us, we don't know it and we don't want to admit it, but we manufacture idols in our life, manufacture gods in our life in a way to kind of we're looking for, into God with what we really want, but we look into other things to kind of take God's place. And so as we're talking about these manufactured gods, I believe that idols, they are uh, something that is mentioned pretty much all throughout the Bible. They're mentioned a lot, especially in the Old Testament. And I believe that idols are something that we manufacture to give us this sense of security, this sense of hope, or this sense of trust. And only to come to find out that it's really a false security, it's a false hope, and it's a false trust. And when we go to the things that, for what only God can give us, it becomes something that we manufacture, and it often leaves us longing for more. And so idolatry is a sin that's mentioned in the Bible, and this morning we're going to be looking at one of the stories. And I know it's easy to hear the word idols and quickly think, well, I know the idols that are talked about in the Bible, Pastor Kevin. I know the idols that you're mentioning in the Bible, and I don't have any of those in my life, so this message is not for me. However, there could be something that you've manufactured in your life that you go to hoping that it will give you only what God can truly give you. And that, my friend, is what I'm calling a manufactured God. The title and the graphics of this morning are all intentional, the the lowercase g, the, the gods being plural, Um, God's is purposely not capitalized because we cannot manufacture the one true God. The one true God, he deserves the the big G God. He is our big G God. 
But anytime we have a manufactured God in our life, those are little g gods. And there also, there's an S at the end of this word God because gods can be a multiple different types of things in our life if we bow down to them. So the Bible's very clear as we open up this morning's scripture that we should not have any images before God. We should not have any idols before God. In Exodus, after Moses, he led the Israelites out of slavery, God spoke and gave the famous Ten Commandments. Many of us know these Ten Commandments by heart. But I want to look at the first two commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 5, where God says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not have gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them to worship them, for I The Lord your God am a jealous God. So to God, idols are a big deal to him. He he gets upset when idols are before. And in this verses that we just read, we learn a few things about who God is. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the God who actually delivered you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who also delivered you from the hand of slavery. I'm the God that got you out of that captivity. I'm the God that got you away from the slave masters, that cruel, cruel treatment. And I am the Lord, your God, who created you. I'm the reason why you have a life, why you have a soul. I'm the reason why eternity is in your future. And because of that, I am a jealous God, and I want all of your attention. I want all of your worship. So the Ten Commandments have been an important part of a believer's life. And we'll see these commandments kind of resonate with the three Jewish boys that we're going to be reading about this morning. But the story we're going to be looking at is in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please join me in Daniel chapter 3. But I believe why this is such a jaw-dropping story is because these Jewish boys that we're going to be reading about, they knew how serious God was when it came to worshiping idols. And we're going to see them not given to any kind of manufactured God. The book of Daniel is a story of a history of when the land of Judah was being conquered by Babylon. And Babylon uh, was ran at the time by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he took over the land of Judah, he began to kind of deport all of the uh, Jewish people and the Israelites over into Babylon. And as they're deporting them into Babylon, they begin to indoctrinate them. So I know you've heard of the term of kind of like, Uh, you're throwing religion down my throat. This indoctrination is kind of forcing religion down their throat. They're kind of making everything that the Babylonians believe in, making it these Jewish people's customs as well. This means the language, the literature, the religions, the, the many gods that they've set up. The goal was to try to get the Israelites to forget everything that they knew about the one true God and the people of Babylon. What they're known for is they're known for worshiping many idols. And so what we see here in the beginning of our story is we see a forced identity change concerning some of the Jewish boys that we're going to be reading about. This is a forced identity change. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, this is what the word reads. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names to Daniel, Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now, the Babylonians changed the names of these Jewish people, and there was, there's a reason for it. When you read these names, you don't really notice it or recognize it, 
But the names Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they were actually names that were named after and correlation with and ties to the one true God. Yahweh, their one God that they worshipped. And so when their names are being changed to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these new names are ties to Babylonian gods. Now this is kind of like a strategic plan going on. I mean, think about it. Every single time that these new, uh, these new names were being called to these Jewish boys, uh, there, there was a constant reminder of the Babylonian gods that they're trying to be forced to follow, to worship and everything. And so every single time someone would, would say their name, it was a reminder of the God that they're being indoctrinated with. And there's something unique about being called something. Whenever we have nicknames, there's a psychological effect that we start to find identity in the names that we're called. I mean, I don't know what your nicknames were growing up or what your nicknames are currently. But if you were called coach your entire life, you're going to believe that you are reliable enough to lead a group of people, to kind of coach them along in their life, to kind of raise them up. Some of us have the nickname Ace. If you ever called Ace in your life, you can find the identity that people are going to depend on you to come through in sports and, and, and making decisions and you're reliable. Or if you're called short your entire life, you're going to believe you're short. You see, the goal of the Babylonians was to indoctrinate them so that they could find identity in the Babylonian gods. And changing their name was just a, a step towards that goal to indoctrinating these boys. Now, fast forwarding through our, serv- our, our, our story here, we see um, a manufactured God being created. We see that in, the, in this place, what's going on right now, King Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 2, he has this dream, and Daniel is one of the guys who interprets the dream, and long story short, Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what, I'm going to erect this huge image, and we're going to worship it. We're going to bow down to it. We're going to idolize it. This is going to be an image of gold, and we're all going to bow down for it. Now, this was a 90-foot high image. This was a gigantic image. It was for sure impressive. It was for sure created for worship. Now, to kind of put it into perspective, if you're watching baseball right now, I know we're in the playoffs going to the World Series. If you see what the batters run from home plate to first base, that's 90 feet long. If you just stand that vertically, that's 90 feet high. And this is how big that idol was. If you're not into sports, that's okay. Think of mid-sized school buses. A mid-sized school bus, take three of them, stack them on top of each other. There you have about a 90-foot image. This thing was impressive. It was massive. It was to be worshipped. If you were in the area going through Babylon, you would see this from a distance and likely you would be in awe of it. It was impressive that Nebuchadnezzar could even erect something like this in those days and age. I mean, a lot of us get impressed by going through Chicago and seeing the Chicago Bean. The nice big silver bean that you can see your reflection off of. Now imagine three Chicago beans just stacked on top of each other. That's going to be about 90 feet high. You see, and gold. And so it's going to be, fam- it's going to be fancy. It's going to be humongous. It's going to be uh, admirable. And this image was created so it could be worshipped. And the king, he wanted this image to be dedicated. So what he does is he calls forth all of the governing people, all the people in high places, to have this image dedicated. And this is where we see that people are going to be forced to worship or they're going to face some consequences. They're going to be forced to worship, or they're going to face some consequences. And we see in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship 
the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It's pretty simple, right? It's pretty straightforward. Once you hear the music, that's your cue. Bow down and worship this image of gold. But now to bow down, to bow down shows weakness by agreeing to the demands of following something of others or something else. So to bow down to this image was to, to worship it, to, to let it have authority over your life. This was basically saying when I'm bowing down to whatever's before me, I'm going to let it see that I'm weak before it and I'm looking to it as a sense to see my strength from it. And if you didn't bow down, there's going to be a punishment to pay. And we read this in verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And we could look at this and be like, wow, that's a pretty harsh treatment. But this is how important it was for the Babylonian government to have people fear the gods that they followed and worshipped. They wanted to be sure that they would be respected. And if they didn't, there's going to be a severe punishment to pay. But this fiery furnace was not some cooking grill that you have on your backyard. This was not some charcoal grill. This was a massive industrial oven. This thing was used to likely smell ore or smell iron and make all different types of metals and even carrying bricks. And because of that, we know that in order to do that, you need it to be at least 1,000 degrees Celsius. Now, if you're from America, you don't really know what Celsius is, so you always have to get your calculator out and translate it to Fahrenheit. That's about 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And now, if you don't like Florida heat, just multiply Florida's heat by about 18. There you have a fiery furnace. It's very, very hot. And so this punishment to be thrown into this fiery furnace, what that would have done to know that you're going there if you don't bow down, it's going to put fear on you. And so the music plays, everything's going on, the music's going on, and people begin to bow down likely out of fear. And then we have this confrontation with the king because uh, there are some people who noticed that three of our Jewish friends did not bow down. And it happened to be our friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and people went straight to the king and kind of ratted on them. And this is our story in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 3. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now this king, he's kind of cuckoo. He, he, he's, he's furious. He's angry. He's, he's, he's very upset with these Jewish boys, and he's demanding them to now bow down. He's giving them another chance. But I want to say in this moment, like, way to go, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For you, you understood how serious the God you follow you understood how serious he was when it came to worshiping others. You knew how serious he wanted your worship and not some other gods. Now, we could easily say that the Jewish boys could have just fallen down and worshiped this idol, given some kind of excuse. Like, you know, I could bow down before it, and I'm not going to really worship it. I'm not going to give it 
my adoration and my respect, but I'm going to bow down so I don't have to face that fiery furnace. They could have gave that excuse. They could have said, you know, I serve a God of just, a God of mercy, a God of grace. I could just bow down to this image and just ask for God for forgiveness later, right? But they didn't do that. Because if they had fallen to worship this idol, they would have violated God's commands. However, I believe it's the question that Nebuchadnezzar asked in verse 15 that kind of rubbed these Jewish boys wrongly. He said, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Not, I read this as a challenge. Like, Nebuchadnezzar, you really think that you're bigger than my big G God? You really think that you have power over Yahweh, Elohim, the creator of this world? You think you're that guy? This is clearly a challenge, and it wasn't enough for the boys to submit to the authority of this king. And so we pick up in our story in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they reply to the king, they say to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I like to call this a no matter what type kind of faith. They knew that God could have saved them, but these boys were okay with God not saving them. They believed that the golden image would actually be worse for them than what the furnace would be worse. They believed that bowing down to this image would have given them a harsher treatment than feeling a physical death. And they made it clear by no means that they will be worshiping this commanded image. They knew how serious God was when it came to manufactured gods. So this resulted in our three friends getting tied up, the king getting so angry where he demands that this furnace is made seven times hotter, so 1,800 Fahrenheit multiplied by seven. It's just hot. Um, I don't want to be in there. It's worse than a sauna. Um, Then these soldiers who are the strongest in the land, they come and tie up the friends and they start bringing them into the furnace. And scripture tells us that this heat was so intense that as the soldiers were releasing them into this furnace, it killed the soldiers. And then our, our three friends, they fall into... The, the blazing furnace, and now we're going to see how God honors obedience. This is a God-honoring obedience as we pick up in our story in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into this fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, they crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. We get to praise the Lord for this testimony of these three Jewish boys. We get to see that these boys, they didn't know that God was going to protect them, but they had a no matter what type kind of faith here. And God honored their obedience. We don't know exactly who was with them in the fiery furnace. We don't, scripture doesn't tell us who it is. All Nebuchadnezzar says is it looks like the son of God's. But what does he know? I mean, he's weird. And so... <laughs> So we don't know who it was. Some people believe that this was an angel that was protecting them. Some people believe that this was a pre-incarnated Jesus Christ here protecting them. 
But what we do know is that this person was sent by God, so they were of a supernatural, and they were guarding and protecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they spared the lives of them. So much so that the smell of fire wasn't even on them. They even were spared from the heat of this furnace. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been near a campfire. Chances are you have if you've done s'mores. You can walk by a campfire, by the way, and the smell of burnt wood is all over you. This, these boys who are embracing so much heat right now, they don't even get that stench on them at all. So we know that this is the story from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure you've heard the story before, but I want to kind of like use this story as a guide to our conversation this morning because many of us, when we think of the word idols, as I said earlier, we typically, we typically think, think of things that we just read. We think of golden images set up before us. We think of statues. We even think, oh, well, I'm good because I don't have golden images erected before me, and I'm not bowing down and meditating on them with crisscross applesauce-style praying to these images or statues. We compare our religion to other religions saying, well, I know what the Hindus do. I know what the Catholics do. I know what all these other religions do, and I'm not doing that. Therefore, I'm good. I don't have idols. But the reality is we have subconsciously manufactured different type of idols in our life. And I'm telling you, God will honor our obedience to his commands. We must just ensure that our worship belongs to him and him alone. The working definition I want to give you for idols this morning is it's anything that we prioritize above or before Jesus Christ. An idol is anything that we prioritize above or before Jesus Christ. This could be something, this could be someone that we find ourselves running to instead of God. Which means that idols can pretty much be anything. Idols can be people. Idols can be our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our musicians that we listen to, the athletes we follow. They could be our mentors. Could even be our pastors. I hope no one. Idols can be physical things. Different possessions that we have. Could be our houses, our vehicles. It could be our phone screens could even be food. Idols can be momentary things, things that we go to that only give us like this moment of satisfaction, like social media, scrolling through Instagram and Facebook. Could be news stations, don't even get me started on politics. It could be prescription drugs. Could be pornography, sports. It could even be alcohol. Manufactured gods can take the form of anything and we don't even realize it. We initially say, well, I don't have any idols because I'm not going before a golden image. But listen, anytime we go to an altar of something or someone for what only God can give, that right there is a manufactured God. Anytime we go to the altar of something or someone for what only God can give us, that right there is a manufactured God. Whether we're searching for love, whether we're searching for hope, and especially hope, if we're searching for love, peace, joy, trust, or even if we're searching for comfort, whatever it is that we go to, that right there can be our manufactured God. If it's not God, if it's not Jesus Christ, that is our manufactured God. Now, one way that we can easily tell if we have manufactured gods in our life, and it's not, it, it's, this is just like a diagnosis question that you can take home for yourself and ask yourself this week, like, what do I go to when this happens? But whenever you go through a hard time in life, what do you turn to? 
Do you turn to Jesus Christ? Or do you turn to some kind of manufactured functional savior in place? A lot of times when we go through hard things in life, the things that we went to before, they like to remind us, hey, don't you remember I helped you last time you faced so-and-so? I can help you again. Just come back to me. Manufactured gods, what they are, they're temporary gods. They always overpromise and they always underdeliver. Manufactured gods could be anything in, in our life that has a throne in our life. It could be something that nobody else knows about. It could be something that you're ashamed for the fear of the day that somebody's going to find out about it. It could be something that you think you're going to for what only God can give you. Reality of this is that we need to dethrone whatever manufactured God we have set up in our life. And I honestly believe that the word of God helps us do that, helps us dethrone any manufactured God that has taken God's place. So this morning, we're just going to close with two applications, two application points that I want you to take home and I want you to chew on this week. And it's found in the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, written by Paul, who Paul is a, was a devout Jewish man who gave his life to Jesus Christ. So he also knew the seriousness about worshiping the one true God and also not having idols before the one true God. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we get our first um, application for this morning's message. And Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So to dethrone manufactured gods, the first thing that I think we need to do is we need to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And church, I honestly believe that if you can, if you can get this right, if you can set your heart and your minds on the things above, it's going to be super easy to remove some manufactured gods in our lives. We, when we believe in Jesus as your Savior, what happens is you're raised with him. That's what Paul just uh, promised us in the word of God that when you are believing in Jesus, you are then raised with Christ, which means that your identity is in him and not some manufactured God. And Paul tells us that we need to set our hearts and our minds on the things above, which means that we need to dig into our heart issue right here because if we're be honest, our heart is where a lot of our desires come from, a lot of our wicked desires to indulge into our flesh. To set your hearts on above is to meditate on the things that are from what above. Now the challenge is, well, how do you know what's from above? And I believe a lot of us don't really know what's from above because we don't really study the word of God. We don't know what heaven's like. We don't know what it's like to really immerse ourselves and be in the presence of godly people or to be in a, in a, a meditating on a heavenly atmosphere around us. And so if we were to meditate on things above, if we were to know and know the word of God and really indulge into it and really study it and know it for ourselves and get to know God more intimately, I believe that we would be able to value the things from above, to prioritize the things above in our life. To set our minds on things above is to think of the things above. And when you do that, you're letting it shape and influence your life in the here and now. And when you do so, you have a heavenly focus, and that heavenly focus will produce an earthly difference. Your heavenly focus will produce an earthly difference. We have to believe that the old nature that was inside of you, that old nature is dead. It's not coming back. You can't resurrect that dead person. You are raised with Christ. And because we have 
when we have manufactured gods in our life, we're simply not setting our hearts on things above. We're setting our hearts on the things below. And we believe that the people who we love will bring us the affirmation of love that really only God can bring us. We believe that sometimes sexual immorality can really relieve us from the stressful times that we're having at work. We believe that alcohol can really simply just throw away all of our problems. We believe that news stations could fix our marriages. A lot of times we run to manufactured gods hoping that it will bring us a satisfaction that only what Yahweh can. And we go to a, a, a place of belief such as this, there we are sinning in idolatry. And Paul continues a few verses later in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So the second thing for application is to dethrone manufactured gods. First, we have to set our hearts and our minds on the things above. And secondly, destroy manufactured gods. Paul uses a strong verbiage here. He says to kill them. But... You know, he uses this verbiage because he wants us to destroy anything that's earthly in us. And Jesus was so serious about this that he even demanded that even if your right eye causes you to sin, you must do what? Pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, you have to cut it off. I mean, thank God that he was only talking uh, metaphorically and not literally because a lot of us would be blind. A lot of us would be limbless right now. You see, what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about not of a physical amputation, For the things that cause us to sin, but he was talking about a spiritual amputation for the things that cause us to sin. We need to put to death whatever it is that's causing us to sin. Whatever little G God is in our life, we need to destroy it. We need to get rid of it. Set our hearts on the things above. And I'll challenge you with this that if you can't let it go, you don't own it, it owns you. And sadly, this is what manufactured gods do to us when they get a hold of us on our life. And we hold so tightly to them, afraid to let them go. And the list that Paul gives, all in uh, verse 5, they're all activities that flow from the heart. The, the human nature and the, the, that, the human nature that seeks satisfaction on the things below and not the things above. And they're all manufactured gods. And here, here's how the psalmist kind of like talks about what these manufactured gods are. In verse Uh, Psalms 135, verses 15 to 18, this is how he talks about what idols are. He says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They're not made by God. These are made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Idols are lifeless Verse 18 says, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Manufactured gods, they have no saving power. They have always under-delivered and over-promised. Manufactured gods don't know what it's like to sacrifice. I want you to tell me, when was the last time that an idol ever came through for you on a promise it gave you? It hasn't. When was the last time an idol or a manufactured god ever nailed your sins to a cross and died for you. They haven't. Dethrone any manufactured God you have in your life, any makeshift God, any counterfeit God, any functional Savior, and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. I want to close on a recent story that I had with my daughter. I know uh, pastor kids, when they get older and understand, they're probably going to be so annoyed with all the stories that their dad tells 
But my daughter, she was, you know, she's one. She's still learning how to keep her balance and catch her balance. And the other day, she was playing with some wooden blocks. I was in the living room. Hannah was in the kitchen. And Skylar, she was uh, kind of playing with her, her, her nephews and nieces and her brother. And they're all playing with wooden blocks. And Skylar, she comes walking into the kitchen kind of whimpering and sobbing. If you know my daughter, nothing hurts her. But she's whimpering. She's sobbing. She's just crying. And Hannah looks down, and she sees blood everywhere. Blood all over her dress, blood all over her chin, running down her neck, blood filled all in her mouth. And if you look past her, you see blood droplets as she was making her way into the kitchen on the floor. Hannah freaks out, of course. I mean, who wouldn't? And so I run into the kitchen and I try to pick up Skylar. I try to clean her up. I'm cleaning her up, trying to figure out where the blood's coming from. It comes to find out the blood is coming from her lip. What happened was she had a wooden block in her hand. She fell. And as she fell, she tried to brace herself and the wooden block hit her lip which hit against her tooth, cut her lip open. She didn't need stitches, but it was, it was a small fix, but a lot of blood, and we didn't know. Long story short, as I'm daddy doctoring her, I noticed something. I noticed this wooden block in her hand. And then as I'm getting the blood off her, I take the wooden block out of her hand, but she won't let go of it. And that's when it was like murder she wrote all over again. Like she would not let go of this wooden block. There was no way that you were, she was white knuckling this wooden block, and she was tug-of-warring with it with me. And it dawned on me. It dawned on me because as I reflected on the story, this is exactly how we treat our manufactured gods. This is exactly how we treat our manufactured gods. When we don't want to believe it and we don't want to admit it, but manufactured gods are truly, truthfully harmful to us. Even though we think they're bringing us life, they're truly really killing us. Even though we think that they're helping us, they're really destroying us. Even, we, even though we think that they're our savior, they're truly pulling us away from our real savior. And what's really interesting about this is as I try to pull it out of Skylar's hand, that's a lot of us because we hold on to the things because we don't know what life is like without our manufactured gods. We don't know what it's like to experience life without that comfort zone that we can go to. We don't know what it's like. It's a fear of the unknown, and we white-knuckle holding on to the things that we think is bringing us truly what only God can. Whatever manufactured God you have set up in your life, Scripture is telling us that we need to dethrone it, sever its ties, because it's only killing you slowly, and it's pulling you away from a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. We are, we are commanded, to, commanded to worship Jesus, Jesus, worship him alone, because he is everything that we've ever needed in this life. He is the one who created you. He is the reason why you are alive to life today. He is, he is the reason why your soul, soul ex- ex- exists. And because of that, he is a jealous God, and all he wants is your worship. Amen, church? Amen. Well, let's pray. God, God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, go, we thank you for, for just their testimony and how you honored their obedience and how there was no way that they were going to bow down to some manufactured golden image that was set up before them. God, even though this was an Old Testament story, we can see how this story can resonate in our lives even today. And God, we can easily put images in our, in our life where we kind of go to it, whether it's an idol, whether it's a man, manufactured idol or manufactured God, whatever it is, we go to it thinking it can give us only what you truly can give us. God, I pray if there's manufactured gods in our life, I pray that you'll help us sift them out, that we'll confess them to you, 
that will seek repentance only in your name, Jesus, because you are the only one who can save us. For there is no other name, there is no greater name. You have no rival, no equal. For Jesus, you are the one true God. Remind us that we need to give you all of our attention, all of our worship, all of our adoration, and not to some manufactured gods, little g gods. Jesus, I pray that you'll be with us this week, that you'll bless us this week, and that we'll enjoy fellowship with other believers. And it's in your son's name that we pray.